You're listening to Comedy Central. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Sarah. And this is Beth. And we are Pantsuit Politics, a podcast where we take a different approach to the news. We talk about news, we talk about politics, but we also talk about parenting and travel and pop culture and how all of that affects how we understand the world. We're really different people. Sometimes you'll hear us agree and sometimes not. We think that's where the fun is. We laugh and learn together and with all of you twice a week, every week. Pantsuit Politics is about engaging with each other and the news without the anxiety and the frustration. We hope you'll join our conversation every Tuesday and Friday because politics doesn't have to be exhausting. Our listeners tell us it's like time spent with your good friends who did their homework. You left the NFL um, to found like an organization that that really is is tasked with justice. You know, you you, you set out to create the Players Coalition, which is an organization that has said, "Hey, man, we're we're going to try and make a difference using the NFL as a platform." to get racial justice out there. Take me through a little bit of, of the why. You know, like everyone has a different story as to why they get into the work that they get into. Why, why was this the move for you? Yeah, for me, it, it was really important. Unfortunately, um, I lost my cousin at the hands of law enforcement. Um, my cousin was a, was a drummer in a band. And one night after a show he, he had just played with his band, he was on his way home. Ended up breaking down on the side of the road. Long story short, um, law enforcement officer killed him while he was on the phone with roadside assistance. Um, so for me, um, seeing the, the pain that my family went through, seeing how long the process was before um, we felt like justice was served, I didn't want any other family to have to deal with that. And for me and my family, you know, although we feel like there's a lot of families in this country, man, that not only get justice, but don't get their day in court. So I feel mm-hmm. like um, with the platform that I had, um, felt like it was more than right for me to, to speak out about these issues, but also try to come up with solutions. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, I think there's two things that, 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 are, current, that are oftentimes a misconception that people have, you know. Um, I've seen a lot of people in America say, Oh, but if you're rich, if you're famous, if, if you know, you're, then you're out. Like, it doesn't affect you. I don't know why you're complaining about this. I don't even know why this is an issue for you. But you, you're, you're just one of the examples of people who do get affected because we're human beings. We're connected to other people. Even if it isn't you, it can be a family member, et cetera. But, but talk me through what you've been trying to do in terms of creating actions and why you feel like it's, 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 it's your burden, you know? Because you, you could have easily just walked away and said, hey, man, this is horrible. This was painful and I'm out, but you've chosen to sort of live in that pain and try and, you know, prevent other people from experiencing it. Tell me a little bit about the whys. Yeah, I I think, you know, like you said, a lot of people think just because you have money, um, you're out of it. But I can tell you that even even after having money, you know, I found myself in in those situations where I'm pulled over just because of the car that I'm driving or the color of my skin. So 
you know, having money doesn't exempt you from being black in America. If you're black in America, no matter what you do, um, no matter how much money you have, you're, you're just black in America and you still have to deal with the issues that come with that. Um, for me, you know, me joining this work is because obviously I'm a black man. I'm raising two, two black boys. Um, I have cousins. I have um, a sister. Um, I have two brothers that are obviously black. So, I mean, it doesn't just affect me. You know what I'm saying? It, it affects my family as well. And for me, it's it's trying to hold these people accountable. And I think that's the that's the thing that that people don't get. Um, and, you know, you have a lot of people asking, well, why are people protesting? Why is there rioting? Why is there looting? And the simple answer is because justice wasn't served right away. I guarantee you had those guys been arrested, not just the one officer, but all four, had they been arrested right then or a day later, you wouldn't have everything that's going on now. And it's because we fail over and over again to hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. you, you, you played in a league that has become synonymous with you know, law enforcement, military, et cetera. You know, the NFL, a lot of the imagery that you see on the field would be like police members and the military, and, and they're very proud of that association. What that has created though is a conflict oftentimes between like the fans some of the fans and, and, and many of the players, when the players speak out about, you know, issues of police injustice or violence in, 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 in the communities, how, how do you relate to your fans or, or have you found a way to connect with them in a way where, you know, you can use their passion for the sport that you played so well to try and help them understand what's going on in America? I think the thing that you have to do is just reach people at the level that they're at. Um, you know, everybody doesn't always see things the same way. But I think if you if you humanize um, the situations that we're going through as as a as a culture, I think people begin to understand, um, you know, you can you can liken it to a lot of different things. But it isn't until um, it hits home with the person that you're talking to that mm -hmm. it really registers. You you've been working hard to push the NFL in this space. And um, Roger Goodell came out now and said that he doesn't feel like the NFL has done enough and he wants the NFL as an organization to do more. Uh, you know, now granted, the NFL doesn't make laws, the NFL isn't responsible for the police, so I mean, you know, the scope of what they can do is limited, but some people felt like it was lip service because of Colin Kaepernick, some people felt like it's a step in the right direction. You know, you're somebody who's constantly been pushing the NFL, what, what would you hope to see the NFL do? Is there something they can do and, and what would it be? Yeah, I, I think that's a good question because I think a lot of people are looking from the outside in and, and expecting the NFL to kind of solve this problem, right? Um, and that's not going to happen. But I think one thing that the NFL can do is look internally, um, look at the policies um, that it supports, look at the hiring practices that it has internally. When you're talking about a league that's predominantly made up of African-Americans, how many African-American coaches do you have? How many African-Americans GMs do you have? How many African-American owners do you have? So I think that's one of the things that they can look at. And as far as using the platform that the NFL has, you know, you, you have guys like myself, guys that are playing currently, um, guys like Malcolm Jenkins, other guys that are on the Players Coalition. When we're asking for support of the NFL, it's not just monetary, but it's coming to us when we have these meetings with congressmen and senators and those that are in positions of power, because then those conversations change. Because there are a lot of owners in the NFL that can guarantee that some of those people are in the seats that they're in because of their support. So mm -hmm. when, we, when we ask the NFL, you know, to lend us your platform, it's coming 
to these meetings with us. It's understanding what exactly it is that we're fighting against. And I can right. I can tip my hat to Roger because he's come along on, on several of those occasions. He's come to us. Um, he's come along with us when we when we've spoken to, you know, people in positions of power. He's come and tried to see what, while we were doing court hearings, like what's the process. So he I can give him, a, um, you know, kudos for trying to understand what exactly it is that we're talking about trying to step outside of itself and put itself in our shoes and understand the issues that we're, we're screaming about. It is interesting because, you know, sports has often been the place where people say politics doesn't exist. You know, sports is often the place we all go to escape. You just support your team, you have a good time and that's that. But it feels like there are moments in time when politics is inescapable. You know, there are issues that can't be ignored when people step onto a field. Um, there are issues that athletes can't ignore, you know, because you have platforms, you have spa- spaces to speak out. Uh, Drew Brees was one of those athletes recently, you know, who, who came out and said comments that he then later took back and, 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 and said, look, were insensitive. When, when you look at the players, you know, when you're talking to all of the players, is there a platform or a space where players get together and hash these things out? Or do you find that there's a disconnect? Is it, is, is, let me put it this way, is, do we, do we work under the assumption that the players are always like these tight-knit communities when in fact it's just like the rest of society where people break off and think whatever they think? Yeah, I, I think there's there's pockets where, where they are. Um, I think you have a number of players that are on the same page. Um, you have guys that are connected in that way. And then you have guys who have, a, have differing opinions. But I would say the one thing that I, I do think is true, that we're all fighting for the same cause. You mm-hmm. might see it a little different of how we get there, but I think we're on the same page that change needs to happen in this country. Maybe the biggest sign of the power of the Black Lives Matter movement right now is that it's even changing America's cultural institutions. Just look at the NFL, which is surprising everyone with a high profile reversal. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell weighing in on quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who has not played since 2016 when he first started kneeling during the national anthem to protest racial inequality. Well, Goodell now saying he encourages a team to sign Kaepernick. I welcome that, uh, support a club making that decision and encourage them to do that. Goodell again says he and the league were wrong to oppose the kneeling protests started by Kaepernick. We should have listened to our players earlier. Our players, uh, including Colin Kaepernick. God damn. All of a sudden, Roger Goodell wants Colin Kaepernick back in the league. No one from the NFL has been jerked around this much since Robert Kraft went to that massage parlor. You know, this move by the NFL is a lot like when your parent finally admits you were right, but it's like a decade after they already punished you. It's like, oh, thanks for giving me my disc man back. I guess now I'll go try and find some CDs. This is Sarah. And this is Beth. And we are Pantsuit Politics, a podcast where we take a different approach to the news. We talk about news, we talk about politics, but we also talk about parenting and travel and pop culture and how all of that affects how we understand the world. We're really different people. Sometimes you'll hear us agree and sometimes not. We think that's where the fun is. We laugh and learn together and with all of you twice a week, every week. Pantsuit Politics is about engaging with each other and the news without the anxiety and the frustration. We hope you'll join our conversation every Tuesday and Friday because politics doesn't have to be exhausting. Our listeners tell us it's like time spent with your good friends who did their homework. It's so apt that you have that that painting behind you because... 
you know, a lot of people don't remember that image happening because we weren't alive then. Uh, a lot of people may not even know what that image represents, but that was a moment in sports when black athletes who were representing their country felt like their country wasn't representing them. It feels like in many ways, America has come full circle to that conversation. You know, you were on the show a, a, a few years ago and we were talking about just, you know, the conversation in and around America and sports and black people and, and equal justice. And it feels like now more than ever, people are willing to listen. You've been talking about Black Lives Matter for a long time. You've been having these conversations. Have you felt a shift? Well, I think honestly, what, I, what we're feeling is, is really the black community is done trying to have the conversation. We've been, you know, been been trying to ease our way as a country through this, you know, the history of our past and how do we move forward and come out of this racial divide. And I think black people uh, and a lot of people, you're starting to see our patience is up, right? And so we're no longer, not only are we not just willing to just have a, com a conversation, we're not willing to just inch forward with small reforms. I think everybody's ready for true systemic change in not only what we do with our policing, but what we do in our criminal justice system, what we do with education, and even the healthcare system. Uh, and so I think it's important for us to continue to like push that uh, envelope because right now is the most enthusiasm I've seen in the movement for you know a long time. When, when you look at everything that's going on in America now, what do you feel or what do you hope some of the, the larger conversations would be? What, what progress do you want to see being made? Well, the, the number one thing is I want to see people really participate in this year's election. Uh, and so that's getting people registered and then figuring out ways, no matter what they put in place to deter people from voting, uh, that we all pitch in and make sure that people get to the polls and participate. Uh, but the second thing I think is huge right now in this moment is getting people to really uh, change their minds about how we go about policing in this country and our society and what that looks like. And so you've heard the term defund the police and that scares a lot of people. Um, but people should look up, you know, what that actually means. So whether you want to call right. it defund or divest or abolish, at the end of the day, we want to change the way that policing is used in our in our uh, country. And then you talk to police officers, they, they want the same thing. They don't want to respond to mental health crises that they're not trained to deal with. They shouldn't be in our schools. They should have more counselors than police, you know, our, our children should have that in their schools. And a whole, you know, gambit of things that we don't need to respond uh, yeah. with police force. And so I think we need to have that conversation as a society and rethinking how we use uh, police. You, you got a lot of people talking with your video that you, that you came out with at the ESPYs, you know, a call to action, getting people to have conversations, getting people to be engaged, black and white. And you really emphasize that point. In many ways, it feels like the whole incident with Drew Brees was, was a personification of, of your message. You know, your, your teammate came out and said, you know, he wasn't happy with people kneeling, uh, you know, because he said it was against the flag. And he was, and, and you came out and you were really strong. You were like, yo, you're my teammate, but let me school you on, on what's happening here. And then he backtracked and he had a really, you know, in my opinion, it was a heartfelt apology and it seemed like he had heard you. Do you think that's, that's what this country needs more of is like a discourse where people are hearing each other. How, like, tell me about that situation and wh whether, whether you think it was a success. Yeah, I think my interactions with Drew is a microcosm to what we need to do as a country. And I think, you know, that was the reason I posted it. Me and Drew had talked before I posted that video and have actually reported it before we talked. And I posted it anyway, because I thought this is something that people need to see. And I think we, for a long time, have tried to put reconciliation before truth. 
Um, but when you do that, you don't really understand, you know, really what is oppressing people and really what the problems are. And we try to move to a post-racial type of society and move on from our past without actually addressing the history and, and the way that our past pretty much paints the present. And, and until we change, you know, the direction that we're going to, we change the systems that were put in place in the past, we'll always be tethered to that. And I think that starts with truth. And hopefully this time that we get to sit still because of COVID and all the things that are happening, people will take the time to really dive into and listen to, you know, what people are talking about, to learn about our systems and how they've been not only oppressive now in today's context, but over generations and what that trauma and that, that you know, dispossession and, and marginalization means in 2020. Let's talk a little bit about the NFL. Um, Roger Goodell, the commissioner, came out and said he apologizes for the way the NFL have treated conversations around race. He apologizes for the way the NFL treated Colin Kaepernick. And he said now the NFL is going to do more. They're going to get out there. I know that you were already pushing them. I know that they already had a few initiatives. But from, from a sports organization's point of view, what role do you think the NFL can play in moving these conversations or even society forward? Well, I think what what any corporation or any business uh, should be doing is first looking internally at at how they run their own house, right? So what are the, when you look at the NFL, you look at, okay, you have 70% of players that are black. How many head coaches do you have that are black? How many GMs do you have that are black? Uh, How many presidents do you have? Zero owners, zero presidents. I think there may be two or three GMs and less than four head coaches. Uh, And so those are immediate things that they need to be addressing and looking at. But then the second part is it's cool to put out statements and to cut checks, but where the NFL really has a lot of power is in its lobbying. They have, you know, owners that are, they got money out, you know, right. They can just pull it out of the air. But what they do with that is they lobby all the time for things that help their business interests. We love to see them take that same kind of power and clout and use it to help Uh, in the areas that players are standing up for, that players are protesting about. Um, That is the biggest way, I think, that they can help players' initiatives uh, is really help push it on a legislative standpoint. You know, um, going back to that image behind you, I I, I feel like it really ties into the video and the conversation you had because a lot of people focused on the American athletes. Not a lot of people know the story of the Australian athlete who's in that picture who basically stood with them and said, hey, I'm going to support what you're doing. And because of that, his career was also lost. The, 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 there's, a, there's a deeper conversation in, in, in how white people can be allies and how they can step up and what they can do. You've been someone who encouraged that from, you know, long before it was fashionable and you're pushing that more, you know, you're pushing that more and more now. Why, why do you feel that's so important? Uh, because for me, the way I see it is that black people have been fighting for these things. People of color have been pushing these things and trying to educate and, and organize and all these things. But at the end of the day, you're a minority, right? So you don't have enough votes and voices to turn it on your own. So while this movement may be started by black people, it may be carried on through on the backs of black people, it's going to cross the finish line on the backs of white people. And it's important that we educate them, that we challenge them to get involved, to learn what's going on, because the only way we really see that get all the way through fruition is going to be if we get white people to bring this to a majority rule. Did you know that America is finally getting its first black president? The Washington football team, formerly known as the Washington Redskins, announcing its new team president. He will be the league's first black president. 
Jason Wright will lead the team's business ventures and operations and working with former Panthers head coach Ron Rivera on building the team on the field. Owner of the team says Wright's experience as a former player and his push for inclusion will set new standards for that organization. That's right. Washington has hired the first black president in NFL history, which is fantastic. But if they follow the same pattern as America, the team's next president is gonna kick all the Mexicans off the team and inject all the players with hydroxychloroquine. I'm a black person in America right now, because even if you do get offered a job, the first thing you have to think is, man, how bad did these white people f up for them to need to hire me? And best of luck to Jason Wright. And I mean, best of luck. Because football is the only sport right now that's trying to play with fans in the stands and with no bubble during COVID. So if the league shuts down, you know people are gonna try blame him. I'm just saying, the league never shut down before when there was a white team president. It can't be a coincidence. It's been interesting in how you've shared your feelings honestly. You know, you, you haven't tried to act like you were perfect. You haven't said that I, I figured this thing out. But you also said that, that you wanna help as a white person with a platform which is not easy for a lot of people to say because you, you're so scared of the backlash that may come with that. Talk me through that experience and, and, and why you felt it was necessary for yourself as an athlete. I mean, you could easily say, hey, it's, I'm an athlete. I, I, I can't talk about this. Why did you think it was important for you to speak out in the way that you have? Well, number one, you know, this, this was something that, you know, my friends and my teammates were saying uh, as I was listening, you know, that some of the comments that were made were that, you know, we appreciate you guys having our back and having, uh, you know, telling us that you support us. But I think it would help more if you, you, you did it publicly and you were able to go out and, and use the platform that you have to, you know, to, to encourage change. And so that was one of the parts, um, you know, just to, as a friend and, and listening um, to, to my friends and my teammates, it just seemed like that was the next step that needed to happen because, you know, what we had been doing up until this point hadn't really worked. And so, you know, if you continue to try and do the same things we've done up until this point, you're going to continue to get the same results. Uh, and so for whatever reason, the timing, I just, I felt like I had to do it because um, I regret it not doing that up until this point, you know, I regret mm. it just kind of staying on the sidelines and, and not helping out in, in the ways that I could. So it really stemmed, you know, from, from conversations uh, that I've had with with my friends about, you know, what can I do to 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 make a difference? Yeah, and one of the differences you 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 started to make is actually using the resources that you have to give uh, African American members of the Atlanta community community a leg up. You've started a GoFundMe. You donated five hundred thousand dollars of your own money to that GoFundMe. And what's interesting is where some people have said, "Hey, I'm going to figure this thing out." You've said, "No, I'm going to be talking to black." community leaders and figure out where we can get money to the people who need it for whatever they need it most for. Th that, that's an interesting way to do it. Why did you choose that path? Well, I chose the path because number one, I knew I wanted to do something, but number two, you know, I knew that I did, I didn't know how, how to do it or, or how to help. And, you know, typically what I've found throughout my life is uh, when it's an area that I don't know the most about, I think it's important to find people that do and find people that you trust uh, and, and have them kind of guide you the direction you need to go. And so, 
that's what I'm currently in the process of doing. I've, I've had great conversations uh, with probably about eight different people from the, from the Atlanta community right now that are heavily involved uh, at the grassroots level uh, in terms of com uh, community organizers and people that, that do this every day that have been trying to make a change for a long time mm -hmm. and, and are much more knowledgeable about uh, the hurdles that, that we have to jump, but also the things that we can do that, that are really going to make an impact immediately and then long-term too. That's, that's kind of, you know, my focus with this is, is, you know, to make a difference now for sure. Uh, but, but, you know, not, you know, rush into doing something just to do it because the momentum is there right now. Let's, let's do something that's, that's going to um, impact uh, making change for the long haul. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This is Sarah. And this is Beth. And we are Pantsuit Politics, a podcast where we take a different approach to the news. We talk about news, we talk about politics, but we also talk about parenting and travel and pop culture and how all of that affects how we understand the world. We're really different people. Sometimes you'll hear us agree and sometimes not. We think that's where the fun is. We laugh and learn together and with all of you twice a week, every week. Pantsuit Politics is about engaging with each other and the news without the anxiety and the frustration. We hope you'll join our conversation every Tuesday and Friday because politics doesn't have to be exhausting. Our listeners tell us it's like time spent with your good friends who did their homework. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 